Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. Well, I want to welcome you to week four to this unique series that we're in. It's entitled Closer, but what makes it unique is that we took a team of people to Israel, and as we were getting ready to go, I thought, what a great opportunity to bring you with us and that you could join us in these major moments in the life of Jesus and the people that experience Jesus. And I started thinking about and praying about it and thinking, why would we do that? Why would we go to so much effort and energy? And that is because I believe that the closer we can get to the biblical Jesus, the closer we can get to the way he lived, the way he related to the people he connected to, then again, it draws us more into a vital, life-giving relationship with him. Because whatever's real, whatever's authentic, then you draw closer to. And I believe Jesus to be so real, every one of us, as we take this next step in our journey, we're gonna get closer to him this weekend. I wanna welcome those watching at 12.30 that are in our video venue there, making room and making space for others, watching online and our McKinney campus that's streaming with us. Would you join me in welcoming all of them that are joining us? I'm gonna ask if you have your Bibles to turn with me to the book of John chapter nine. And there's a rather long, very interesting story there in John nine, but I'm gonna look at verses specifically 35 through 38 in a minute as I take you to the actual location. Uh, I wanna celebrate something though real quick with you. Um, I'm so thankful for your generosity not only your financial generosity, but also just giving your life in a generous way. Uh, because so many of you serve others, not only serve people uh, that help at both campuses make what we do here a possibility by the way you serve children and park cars, but also we have people serving uh, in our community, serving people in so many different ways, more than I can even name. Uh, in fact, we see a big highlight of that every year where we have Serve Day, and we'll be having that again here coming in the spring. I encourage all of you to participate. Last year, we had over 2,000 people that served in multiple ways, about 60 projects, uh, amazing. And so I always love to tell you about the things that are happening behind the scenes. A lot of different ways people are being served from retirement centers to mowing single mom's grass to taking care of people in multiple ways. I think next week we have a special fairy tale ball for children that have uh, life-threatening illnesses. Uh, so many things happening behind the scenes. Let me tell you one that I've also, I'm really excited about and I'm thankful for the team of you that helped make this possible. And that is that every time someone new moves to our area, they get a welcome box from us. They get a welcome box from you, okay? And so what are we saying to people that are moving here? By the way, how many of you moved here are not from here? You're not from this area, but you moved here at some point, all right? About 75% of you or so. And so when you move to a new place, I think it's awesome that a group of people who love Jesus and Jesus loves people that they get this welcome box. And we have a whole team of people that put these together. We've had hundreds of people impacted, hundreds of people received them, literally thousands. Uh, and so thank you for your generosity. Thank you to the team of people that helped make this possible. Also, it's good too, by the way. It's got good stuff in it. Don't you hate church folk? You know, they're like, well, we'll give this to them. You know, you don't even like it yourself. You know, it's just, the shirt's got holes in it. We'll donate that. Okay, no, no. <laughs> 
No, it's got good stuff in it. I'm really particular about that. I'm a giver, so I always want to give something to somebody that I would want. Just a little tidbit, you know what I'm saying? Don't give them some throwaway thing that they don't really want. That's a different message. But anyway, this got good stuff. It represents you well, but what is the main point of it? Not the stuff in the box, but the love behind it. And so we're saying, and we meet people at our 101 and people that come to Christ that really get touched by this. So... Some of you are new. Let me catch you up a little bit on this Closer series. And we're going from a moment where Jesus calls his first disciples. We're headed through a journey at the end where he's going to say, go and make disciples. And we're going to look at all these different moments in between of what it takes to really know him and be close to him and really be connected to him. We started with the first week where he calls his first disciples and he says to them, follow me. Follow me. And that's part of... What it means to really be close to Jesus is it's like, where are we going? What's going to happen? Can I make a preparation? Can I make a list? Can I get everything organized? Nothing wrong with organized people. Just be careful that you're not worshiping your organization so much that you're going to try to administrate Jesus plumb out of the whole picture. And so sometimes we're like, we organize out of our fear. Well, if I can have it all put together, and Jesus just says, look, I don't really have a plan totally that I could give you with every detail. Just follow, just follow, follow me. And then the next week we talked about the fact that we're thirsty people, we're hungry people, we're always after stuff. And Jesus says, in all of your desires, in all of what you're looking for, he says, seek me, seek after me. I'm the only thing, my way of life is the only thing you can seek that will really satisfy your soul. And then last week we talked about the fact that it got a little more challenging last week, okay? Because I want to make sure that you understand in this series, we're trying to get close to the biblical Jesus, the real Jesus, not one dimension of Jesus that we make up in our minds. We want to know the whole Jesus. And the real Jesus sometimes says, I know this is hard because you've been hurt, you've been let down. I need you to trust me. I want you to trust me. So, so we, we're afraid, but we, we trust. Now, this week, it's gonna get a little more touchy. It's gonna get a little more down in where we really live because Jesus, if you're going to really have a relationship with the biblical Jesus, you're gonna come to a place where he says, I want you to worship me. I want you to worship me. Not, not just give me some kind of token adoration Not just some kind of, okay, yes, I acknowledge you. Jesus doesn't just want to be acknowledged. He doesn't just want to say, okay, he existed. No, Jesus is after our affections. He's after our desires. He's after our passions. And so if we're going to really be close to the biblical Jesus in this story, and it's an out-of-the-box story, it ends up at a place of worship. It ends up where you give him your heart, your affection, your desire. There's a demonstrative way that you live with him. You demonstrate it with your life by worshiping him. Now, I know some of you right off the bat, you're like, okay, we're going we're gonna to talk about this worship thing. You know, is this, is this style? Is this, you know, I notice here, you know, you may be new to this. You came like, man, wow, this is kind of, kind of, you know, like, is that a rock band up there? Like, what are these people doing? I, I get it. I, I've been there, all right? I, my wife brought me to a church like this, and I thought, these people have emotional issues or something's wrong with these people, okay? I, I need you to think on a little higher plane for a minute, though, because it's not really about style. 
It's not whether they sing your song. It's not whether you tie into some kind of heritage that you had an encounter with Jesus. Worship is much, much, much bigger than that. But just so I can pull all of you in, who are kind of like, well, this is kind of one of those worshiping churches, kind of one of those demonstrative churches. Well, well, well let me tell you, some of you that just moved to Texas, um, we may have a little trouble with it in terms of like Christian stuff, but, but we really like to celebrate. We really like to get fired up, and it's about one of the things, we, we have some big worship services here in Texas. The only problem is they're, they're outdoor domes that they have hundreds of thousands. I mean, UT has about 100,000 down there worshiping big cow with some horns, y'all know what I'm saying. They, 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 and, 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 and if you're new and you're, and you're from Texas A&M, um, I heard the whoop, I got it. Speaking of that, you know, people a lot of times will tell me, why do y'all at y'all's church turn around and shake hands and stuff? Like, I don't really like that. I get a little apprehensive. Isn't it interesting? In a football game, it's like somebody scores, you don't even know the rules. You know what I'm saying? My wife, no offense, honey, I'm sorry. She'll have a cowbell at my son's football. She'll turn to me and go, are we on offense or defense? So you don't even know what football's about. Somebody scores, you're like, you're just hugging. I mean, in A&M, you're kissing each other. But anyway, <laughs> you got you to clear some of the Aggies out. You know, it, it's a cult, people. I'm just telling you. If you've ever been there, if you've ever worshipped with them, it's a full-on cult, okay? But the TCU people have been getting a little rowdy in our church. They worship pretty strong, too. Down at, down at Baylor right now, that's where God lives, but... Um, <laughs> We're in a little bit more of the lament psalms right now, if you know, and that's kind of, anyway, we got beat by people that knocked the SAT out last week, but anyway, uh, we're, we're kind of in lament, but uh, T- I've been clearing Aggies out of our church, but the TCU people are starting to wear jerseys, they're starting to do frog symbols. I went and worshiped with them uh, a couple of years ago, back when Baylor was good, um, that's Ron and Azu. He's one of our pastors over our grow track. Got some tickets, and 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 he was he was a real good church member in the sense that he got me to my seat. And uh, if you notice the attire we're wearing, my son's like, Dad, we're gonna wear this down there. That's like, come on, you know, you know, a little bit into appearances. I said, pr- I promise you, when it starts raining and freezing, you're not gonna care that we're wearing camo. Okay, this was a downpour of rain. It's freezing cold. Besides that. Ron led us into the TCU section, and so I needed to be camouflaged, right? But I had my Baylor hat on, and uh, it started raining, and Ron went up to the box in the heater. He's drinking hot chocolate up there. We're down there just, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, the TCU people were not very seeker-friendly. I'm just telling you, the, the things they said to me was very wounding. I'm telling you, it was very, very wounding. Uh, it's, it's great to have fun. Everybody has their favorite team, and we love it. I, I, I know that it's sometimes mentioned, or maybe you've never heard it before. You may not be into football. You may be into something else. Here's the thing we need to realize. We all worship. We all get excited. We all get passionate. We all have something. No matter what it is, no matter what your personality is, you have something that you're like, man, I am going to give it all in here to this because I really believe it's important. Now, I'm going to show you today there's a process and a journey that you could have a breakthrough in your worship of Jesus. You could have a breakthrough in the way you see him, and you may see him in a way that's limiting you from getting to that point 
of worship. This story is kind of crazy in John 9. There's a man who was born blind. 1% maybe of the population that that could happen to. I'm talking this is very rare. There are people that go blind. Very, very rare for someone to be born blind. We've been up in, in our relationship here to Jesus and his story. We've been, we've been up in the north. We've been around his ministry headquarters. We've been around the Sea of Galilee. And this week we're going to make our way south to Jerusalem. What's interesting is we're going down to Jerusalem, but because of the geography, you always go up to Jerusalem. Now, I know that's a little confusing. We're going down to Jerusalem, but we'll end up going up to Jerusalem. Because, and that might help you when you read your Psalms and it talks about worshiping him up on this holy hill, or we ascend. There's the Psalms of ascent. You're going up, you're going up to this very important place. And so as we go up to Jerusalem, we're gonna encounter a crazy, crazy story there's a man who was born blind, and Jesus takes some dirt, and he, he spits in it. I don't think they had hand sanitizer back then. It's kind of like, eh, eh. I don't know, Jesus, Jesus was God, but he was also man. I don't know if there were bacteria in Jesus' spit. But he spit, took it, put it in the guy's eyes, and told him, I need you to go wash in this pool. I'm going to take you to this pool. It's rather recent discovery. They found this, this tunnel, Hezekiah's tunnel, and I'm going to take you to a portion of the pool where Jesus asked him to wash in this pool, and he was healed. In fact, it was interesting, by the way, there, at the end you'll see the tunnel. Well, I was there shooting the video, and then this, these people, just they were wading in the muck and the mud, and they're just, hey, here we are. I'm like, oh, okay, wait a minute, we're trying to do something. Y'all go back. But anyway, that's not on the capture. It's not all of the pool, it's a portion of the pool. I'm standing in it. And here's the thought I want you to have as we think about your worship. Let's think about worshiping Jesus. Here's, here's what I want you to think about, this out-of-the-box story. Do you only want from Jesus that which you understand? Do you only want that which you've already experienced? Do you only want that which you can explain? Do you only want that which you're familiar with? Do you only want that which doesn't create any nervousness in you or any apprehension at all? Because if you only want that which you know, there's a dimension of Jesus that you will miss. Watch this story with me and we'll come back and unpack it. standing at a place where a very powerful moment happened through Jesus, and I think that it can bring us closer to him. It's a recent archaeological discovery in 2004, the Pool of Siloam. It goes back to the days of Hezekiah the king, 700 BC, and we want to look at John chapter 9 together. Actually, this story takes up the whole chapter, but I want to tell it to you, and then I want us to see how it applies to us in verses 35 through 38. The story goes like this. As Jesus went along, as he's walking along, and we're, we're just joining in with the journey of Jesus, and as we look at his story, it makes us want to be closer to him, and 
we can relate to the different characters in the different scenes. And this one, I think we can relate to. The disciples, they actually go over to a man who has been born blind. Now, statistically speaking, it is a very rare thing for someone to be born blind. Can you imagine him not ever really seeing anything or any kind of perspective or perception in any way? He's born blind and so he's a beggar. And the disciples ask an honest question. They ask a question that a lot of us actually ask when we go through challenges or trials or have some kind of physical situation. They ask Jesus, did this man sin or did his parents? Jesus quickly helps us. He doesn't go to all the answers and many times we try to find answers and solutions and why this and how could I have prevented that? Jesus says, look, through this man's condition, it's not about his parents or his sin. It's about the fact that God wants to display something awesome through his life. Jesus does something crazy out of the box. He had never done it before and he never did it again. He actually takes some clay, he spits on it, he takes the clay, puts it in his eyes and tells him to come wash in this pool and that he would be healed. And he obeys. But by the way, to follow Jesus and to be close to Jesus means sometimes you do things that are culturally out of the box or they may not even fit with your history or your background or your paradigm. But if Jesus asks us to do it, then simple obedience brings about his power in our lives. And so this man goes and he washes in this pool and he's healed. And then starts a whole other set of conversations because Jesus leaves and the Pharisees enter the picture. They're upset as they were multiple times about the fact that he healed on the Sabbath. And he's, they start really grilling and bringing an inquisition against this guy about his healing. And, the fact that he says, look, you, you're a sinner and how could this happen to you? Because they really believe that it happens through only elite people and special people and people that are doing it right. But Jesus always goes to the one, the one that's broken, the one that's outside of the picture. And so it's, it's, a, it's quite an interchange. And so he gives them some answers and says, but he still doesn't really know who Jesus is. He calls him a prophet. Who did this? A prophet. They, they get frustrated and say, bring his parents so we can really confirm this story. His parents come in. They're a little afraid of the religious leaders. And so they say, look, he's old enough to speak for himself. And he comes to them and he, he actually was quite witty and had some questions for them. Said, look, do you want to be his disciple too? They said, no, no, we're, we're a disciple of Moses. And, and eventually just the interaction brings them to the place where they throw him out. Uh, yet the thesis really of that whole interchange between these religious people is he says this, which I think is so powerful. When Jesus shows up in the lives of ordinary people that recognize their need for him and he shows up and walks into their world, he says, look, you guys can spend time debating. You guys can spend time on your religious heritage and all your different ideologies and rules. He said, all I know is one thing. I used to be blind, but now I see. They were really upset. They throw him out. And so he finds himself again in a place where he's sorting through and processing and Jesus goes to him again. Look what Jesus says. Because Jesus wasn't just concerned with his physical well-being, though the Bible tells us that God is a healer and Jesus is God. 
and he shows up and heals and steps into our lives and heals us physically and emotionally and he has supernatural power to heal. He healed multiple times through his journey, but he's not just concerned with his physical healing, which opened him up to the truth of Jesus. He's concerned with his spiritual condition. And so Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. He went and found him. Aren't you glad Jesus goes and finds us when we get thrown out and we're processing? He said to him, do you believe in the son of man? Now, religious leaders would have been upset about this as well because this goes back to Daniel 7, the messianic passage of the Son of Man coming. And any Jewish leader, especially religious leader, would have known this. And in fact, at Caiaphas's house, when the religious leaders declared him totally guilty, it was as a result of him actually using this phrase, Son of Man the son of man. So he intentionally uses that. And here's what he's saying. I'm not just a religious teacher. I'm not just a good rabbi. I'm not just a prophet like you describe me as. I literally am God. I am the Messiah. He says this, who is he, sir? The man asked. So, so now he's got physical sight, but he still doesn't have spiritual sight. He's asking these questions. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one who's speaking with you right now. What a powerful relational moment where Jesus reveals himself to this man. And the man, he really understood who he was because look what it says. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. He no longer calls him a prophet. He could have called him teacher, but he calls him Lord. The word kurios, He's saying, you are authoritative. He describes authority to him and says, look, I'm willing to submit to your authority. And he, he is giving him that place and says, I believe in you. And then look what it says here. I believe in you and he worshiped him. Now, if Jesus is not the son of man, if Jesus is not God in the flesh, if Jesus is not the one who has the ability to not only heal physically, but to bring him into a right place spiritually, for him to worship him violates the commandments of God. This is out of the box, but yet he has such a revelation of who Jesus is, he worshiped him. So what does this bring into our own lives? The first thing it brings to us is that we can see that God will go to us through the person Jesus Christ today. He sees us, he sees our brokenness. He might ask us to do some crazy things, but in the process, here's what Jesus is after. Jesus is wanting to be close to us and intimate with us and, and meet our needs, yes, but he wants us to come to a place where even when he meets our needs, which opens our heart to him, we come to a place where we say, I'm submitted to you fully, Lord. Lord, you have my life, whatever you ask of me. And some of you even, you say, how do I get close to Jesus? Well, it's when you recognize out of gratefulness and revelation of who he is, what he's done for you that no one else can do, guess what? You just begin to worship him. You just begin to have a desire to worship him with your life and you begin to worship him even as you as you have moments of maybe corporate worship or private worship and i hope that if you can see this story this 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 healing pool that it can bring into your life a place of submission 
And I hope it, it just begins to fuel in you a lifestyle of worship. So the story is one of those stories with Jesus that has so many, again, out of the box, culturally hard to understand, hard to explain factors, but it's right in line with how Jesus worked. There's always a person in need. If you really start studying Jesus and looking at the stories, it's like, man, there's kind of the similar story and a similar set of characters. There's the, the guy in need. And then there's the religious crowd. The religious crowd are always mad. They're always upset with the good stuff that's happening. They're always vocal about it. They're always rejecting anyone that's trying to get closer to Jesus. That's how religious people are. Nowadays they have bigger platforms and more ability to speak to everyone, but the religious crowd's still there. And then there's Jesus. And there's Jesus touching the one in the story that seems like the one that should be out of the picture that has all the barriers and all of the challenges. I wrote in the book here on page 56, in the ancient world, nearly every culture assumed if you were born with disadvantages, then you were being divinely punished. I can't tell you how many times in pastoring people when they're going through something, their first thought is, God is mad at me, God is rejecting me, God is against me, when it's exactly the opposite. This story from Jesus shows us, look at this, as a result, your daily survival would depend on the mercy of others as you beg for scraps to meet your basic needs. Your bucket list would not be filled with exotic travel experiences, a dream home, or the ideal family. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but they just make for poor gods. Your goals would be far lower, live to see another day. So you see how desperation and need also sets the stage for big moments as well. And so 99% of us can't relate to this challenge, but we all have obstacles preventing us from being close to God. Maybe you feel like God doesn't hear or doesn't even want your prayers. Maybe you feel like you've made too many bad decisions or too many poor choices to be close to God. Or maybe you feel like you don't know enough to be worthy of a relationship with Jesus. Maybe yours is not physical blindness. Maybe yours is spiritual blindness or barriers that you perceive that can keep you from getting to a place of worshiping Jesus. I want us just to walk this out for a minute. Let's think about this, because worship is, it's down at the heart level, so it's a little hard to quantify. I promise you by the time we get to the end, I'm gonna be very, very practical with you so that you can look at your life and say, am I worshiping Jesus? Because one of the true facts is, and that is if you get close to him, you're going to worship him. Worship at its basic level, and I want you to get this as we start, it's a response. It's a response. It's a response to Jesus' activity and action and personhood and life that comes. Here's the thing you need to understand, no matter where you're at, you could be someone who says, I totally reject Jesus, you could be over here, there, you could have a history with Jesus, but you're not worshiping him right now. You could be at multiple different places. Here's one thing you need to be guaranteed of. If you encounter the biblical Jesus, there will be a response. 
There is no such thing as neutral. There is no such thing as, uh, great. It doesn't work that way. Not the biblical Jesus. You either say, i got to get less of that, or you begin to respond. You begin to respond. You begin to respond. You begin to have some things in your life where you start going, oh, man, I respond. I know in my own life. I, I remember when I gave my heart and life to Jesus. It was real. It took. It settled my eternity. Settled my eternity. And we're going to worship Jesus for eternity. Some of you are like, is that like we're going to like one of these worship services with the music I hate forever? No. Worship is bigger than music and activity. Worship is actually serving him, loving him. In, in eternity, we're going to rule and reign with Jesus. So most of what I'm talking about now is not if you've accepted Christ by grace through faith, Jesus comes into your life, your eternity is settled. We're talking about your here and now. We're talking about right now, your life with Jesus, and as you get close to him, you'll begin to worship him. I remember when I surrendered my life to Christ, but can I tell you, I've had multiple moments where the revelation of Jesus has pushed and pressed and worked on and drawn me to greater levels of worship. It's like, wow, I didn't know that about you, Jesus. Now, so I don't want you to hear this message and go, man, I don't know. I'm, I don't, no, that's not the goal. Remember, he comes after you if you feel like you're on the outside of this. But your question is, am I worshiping at the level of revelation I have today? Wherever you're at, okay, I got, okay, whoa, didn't know, man, I remember when I started learning. Okay, wait, wait a minute, he's still speaking today. Jesus is still speaking today. Whoa, whoa, that changed my worship. It changed how I came to church. It changed how I came to my small group. It changed how I got in my Bible every day. Because if he's still alive today, if he didn't die yesterday and not ever raised from the dead, you know what I'm saying? If you, if you believe that, then it's like, well, you know, man, well, it's just a bunch of, I don't even like reading that much. I don't get anything. No, 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 he's alive. And his words are life. So it changed the way I interacted with Jesus when I started realizing, oh, wait, he's still speaking. My sheep still hear my voice. We're talking about a life-giving, real dynamic. When I started realizing the person of the Holy Spirit can come and guide me, when I started understanding this is for real life, and you know what? Some of you have never been taught this. I didn't know Jesus totally wanted to come into my professional decisions. I didn't know he wanted to come into my educational decisions. I didn't know at the level he wants to come into my marriage decisions. I didn't know. I got a lot of young families around this church asking me, Pastor Jeff, parenting, what I do about parenting. And we can give you tips, techniques, this, that, you know, all of these different things. But I'm going to tell you something. Let Jesus in. Let him in your parenting. Let him speak to you. Let him guide you. I didn't know that. I didn't know I could worship Jesus by the way I parented. And I really needed a lot of Jesus because my older teenagers had kids at my house last night. Y'all don't know how hard it is for a preacher. Saturday nights when they're hanging out in there, it's like 1230. Ah! Can, I'm about to lose my religion. Can y'all shut up? I got to work tomorrow. And so, but he, but he comes into that. He comes into the way I treat this person, that, but see, so, so that, that worship, it's a response. You go, what do you mean? Let's make it more practical. Because this journey this guy was on in the healing, what, what, what do we see in the story? Number one, this journey to worship, it's like, I'm grateful he found me. See, if you think you're pretty okay, 
Now, I'm not, I'm not just, you know, I'm not just terrible over here. Look, but I'm pretty okay. You don't know your desperation need. You don't need them at the level that'll create worship if you think you're pretty okay. Being pretty okay has robbed more people of great worship. And it's hard in a world today, in the world and culture we live in, where we have plenty of other things to worship, plenty of other things sustaining us, plenty of other things holding on to us for us to relate to the desperation of this guy. But when we let those things be what we worship, a lot of times we don't see in our lives a a picture of true worship. You're like, I'm not there, Jeff. I'm not there. Okay, here's a thought. Where would you be without Jesus? Some of you are like, You don't have to convince me. I know what I didn't have him. I messed a bunch of stuff up. It doesn't go well in marriage without Jesus. It doesn't go well in it doesn't go well in life without Jesus. Some of you, it's like, okay, I know. Well, lean back on that. You'll see your worship go up when you start going, man, I'm so grateful he found me. I know my propensity to mess stuff up. I know my propensity to go down the wrong path. As one person said, we're all one step from stupid, and some of you are a lot closer than that. (laughs) Oh, man, I'm one step from stupid, but Jesus. That'll make you worship. That'll make you go, oh, man, I'm so grateful, I'm so thankful. A guy I talked to after our Saturday night service here at the Keller campus, he said 10 years ago, my marriage was in trouble. He said, you met me at a coffee shop. He walked up, his wife was standing there. This isn't about me, it's about Jesus. And I talked to him about what I'm talking to you about. When are you gonna quit worshiping your job? When are you gonna quit worshiping your hobbies? Nothing wrong with job, nothing wrong with hobbies. And when are you gonna get serious about bringing Jesus into your marriage? I challenged him at that coffee shop. Most people don't listen, by the way. Most people keep worshiping the things that can't deliver and they keep getting the results of that. He had a radical change. He started loving his wife. He started serving his wife. He started bringing Jesus into his marriage. He said 10 years ago, 10 years ago this weekend, she's in the internship. They're standing there together in church because they started understanding how important Jesus is in the picture. And he said, when you talk about being grateful, I get it. I get it. I get it. Here's the second thing that'll bring worship out of your heart toward Jesus is you start seeing There's indisputable evidence of what Jesus has done, see? See, see, this healing is like, man, only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can bring that about. It's indisputable evidence of his work and his hand in our lives. Some people are like, man, I don't know about all this Jesus stuff. Look, I love what this guy said. I was once blind, but now I see. Y'all can fight over it, y'all can argue about it, you can, kinda, you can keep dissecting it, but, but I'm telling you, only by what Jesus did am I in, here, here today. And when you start getting a testimony of seeing, okay, wait, wait, it's indisputable how Jesus has changed me. It's indisputable what Jesus can do in my life. I gotta, I gotta be transparent with you. I'm a little more of the person who's like, I'd like a little more evidence before I take the step. I'm always that way. I was that way as a kid. My parents, I'd be like, why, why, why? You know, that's why I think it was invented in my house, because I said so, you know what I'm saying? I wanna know why. I'm always gonna ask, who said, why'd they say, what's going on? And a lot of you are that way. I need more data, I need more information, I need to know, I need to know, I need to know. 
Nothing wrong with that. God's wired you that way. You, you can make a, an accurate assessment. And I, you know why I'm never intimidated by that? The closer you get to Jesus, Jesus has got a whole lot of answers. He's got a, lot, he got a great track record. But I'm going back to, do you only want from Jesus what you can predict on a spreadsheet? Do you only want from Jesus that which you experienced in your heritage or your childhood or around? You're not disrespecting your heritage to have a new day with Jesus. You're not disrespecting what Jesus has already done by believing for what he will do. And here's how Jesus works. Here's how the Bible works. Go dip in that river. Go over that, That's out of the box. And so if Jesus says, hey, I'm about to spit in some mud, if you start saying, okay, Jesus, I'm going to take a step with you before I see the evidence, but after I see the evidence of your hand in my life, it's gonna continue to produce in me an attitude of worship. Here's the final thing, let me get real practical. This whole story is so amazing. There's the religious antagonist, there's Jesus there, Jesus going and getting the guy, but it all ends at the place of worship by what he says. Here's how he describes Jesus. At the moment of revelation, he describes him as Lord. So this is one of the greatest things. If you're just like, some of you are just like, worship, wait a minute, I don't get it. Let me give you the, the main thing. You only worship something you think that's greater than you. You only worship that which is higher than you. You only worship something that has greater authority than you. And when you believe him to be Lord, it will cause in you a response of worship in multiple areas of your life. And so I wrote this down this week, I'll share it with you. I wrote this down this week, because I can, I can remember and I am still in the journey with Jesus. Remember, we wanna have the biblical Jesus. The biblical Jesus, thank God for his grace that saves us, thank God for his grace that reveals himself to us. Thank God for the saving power of Jesus and it's that same grace that causes us not to try to earn anything from him, but to yield to him when he says, I want that area too. I want that area too. So sometimes, I wanna tell you, in our world today, everybody has, it's like, there's one dimension sometimes of Jesus. Thank God for the grace of Jesus to go find the broken, the lonely, the outcast. Thank you for the grace that even gives us the ability to choose Jesus. But here's a danger, when, you're, when you learn one dimension of Jesus, sometimes you can be so excited about it in your immaturity that you miss the fullness of who he is. A good dad has a lot of grace. Good dad has a lot of grace. And if you have kids, they'll test it. But there is a moment where you're like, okay, that's it, your grace is running out, we're about to have a little moment here. How I mean, you know, that's not unhealthy, that's good wrote this down this week when it re in regards to Jesus. We like sitting and listening to a teacher. We like being cared for by a healer. We like being encouraged by a prophet. We like someone dying in our place as a savior. We don't always like bowing to a Lord. Well, thank you for healing me. Thank you for you being a prophet who sees into every aspect of my life. But, but you know what, you can have my search history on the internet. You can have my affections. You can have my Friday night just like you can have my Monday night. 
You can have my Monday in the boardroom just like you can have my Sunday in the worship service. You're Lord. You're the most high thing in my life. Worship flows out of that posture. It flows out of that position. You are the authority. And some of you say, well, is that biblical? I thought we're just kind of living through the grace of God. No, there's verses in the Bible where Jesus says, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I'm asking you to do. So we can't, if we want to be close to the biblical Jesus, we can't make up a Jesus in our mind who never says, I want that. I want that. I want how you treat your spouse. I want your money. I want your life. I want your career. I want all of it. I want to be Lord of all. And every time, in my own experience with this, every time I predetermine, just say, yes. Because he'll reveal new areas. Yes, here's what I find. Your worship goes up because you've removed something else that's been in the place of him. It goes up. And so he can, begins to infiltrate every single area of our life. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads with me today. And I'm gonna ask you a simple question. Being close to Jesus, I'm gonna tell you, he is savior. He is a loving shepherd. He, he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He, he, he is, Jesus is really easy to love because he's so awesome. But the true Jesus will come into our lives and ask us that he might rule and reign. The experience that we see in this story is we see someone who says, I want to make you Lord and I want to worship you. So Jesus, we come to you right now, I'm asking you to come into our hearts and lives, Lord, in such a way. For some in this room, they've, they, they've said, okay, Jesus is Savior, he died on the cross, but for some in this room, they've never said, Jesus, I wanna make you my Lord. I wanna make you my Savior. If that's you, I want you just right where you are to say, Jesus, I wanna, I wanna surrender to you. I wanna put you at the highest place. I wanna worship you with my life. I believe you died for me, rose from the dead, and I surrender myself to you. If that's you, I want you just, as you prayed that prayer, Jesus comes in. He comes in, and he's coming close. And he'll walk with you through every single situation in your life. If you prayed that prayer, I'm gonna ask you to let us know. But I know there's others in this room that you know Jesus, and you know him as Savior, and. He's saved you and he's working on you. But there's been a little bit of a distance in your relationship with him and it's because he's saying, I wanna, I wanna be Lord of this area. I wanna be Lord. So Father, I pray right now for those in that process that there would be a place of complete surrender. That there would be a place of freedom. There'd be a place of closeness that you come in to those areas of their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com.